0: Book Two, Chapter One of The Black Star Passes by John Campbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kurt Ziegler. The lights of Great Transcontinental Airport were blazing in cherry splendor. Out there in the center of the broad field, a dozen men were silhouetted in the white brilliance, looking up at the sky, where the stars winked cold and clear on the jet background of the frosty night. A slim crescent moon gleamed in the west a sickle of light that in no way dimmed the cold flame of the brilliant stars. One point of light now moved across the motionless field of far-off suns, flashing toward the airport in a long, swift curve. The men on the field murmured and pointed up as it swept low over the blazing lights of New York. Lower it swooped, the towering city behind it. Half a mile into the air the buildings rose in a shiny glory of colored tile that shone brightly in the sweeping play of floodlights. One of them picked out the descending machine. It suddenly leapt out of the darkness as a shining, streamlined cylinder—a cylinder with a great halo of blue fire—as the beam of the searchlight set it off from the jet-black night. In moments the ship was vast before the eyes of the waiting men. It had landed gently on the field was floating smoothly, gracefully towards them. Twenty-four men climbed from the great ship, shivering in the icy blast that swept across the field, spoke a moment with the group awaiting their arrival, then climbed quickly into the grateful warmth of the field-car. In a moment they were speeding toward the light of the field-house half a mile off. Behind them the huge ship leapt into the sky, then suddenly pointed its nose up at an angle of thirty degrees and shot! high into the air at an unbelievable speed. In an instant it was gone. At the field house, the party broke up almost immediately. We want to thank you, Mr. Morey, for your demonstration of the new ship tonight, and you, Dr. Arcot, for answering our many questions about it. I am sure we all appreciate the kindness you have shown the press. The reporters filed out quickly, anxious to get the news into the morning editions. It was after one o'clock now. Each received a small slip of paper from the attendant standing at the exit, the official statement of the company. At last, all had left but the six men who were responsible for the new machine. This night had witnessed the official demonstration of the first of Arcot Moray Molecular Motion ships. Small as she was, compared to those that were to come, yet she could carry over three thousand passengers, as many as could any existing wing plane, and her speed was immensely greater. The trip from the west coast to the eastern had been made in less than one hour. At a speed close to one mile a second, the great ship had shot through the thin air twenty-five miles above the earth. In this vessel, a huge bar of metal could be affected by an ultra-high frequency generator. When so affected, its molecules all move forward, taking the ship with them. Thus, a molecular motion-drive vessel could, theoretically, Approach the velocity of light as a limit. Arcot said Morey, Sr., after the pressman had left the room. "'As president of this company, I certainly want to thank you for the tremendous thing you have given us to use. You have sold us this machine. But how can we repay you? Before this, time and time again, you have sold us your inventions—the ideas that have made it possible for Transcontinental to attain its present high position in world transportation. All you've ever accepted is the laboratory you use, its upkeep, and a small annual income. What can we do to show our appreciation this time?" "'Why,' answered Arcot, smiling, "'you haven't stated the terms correctly. Actually I have a fully equipped lab to putter around in all the time I want for my own amusement, and all the money I want. What more could I ask?' "'I suppose that's all true but you draw only about 600000 a year for personal expenses. A good clerk could get that. And you—admittedly the most brilliant physicist on Earth—are satisfied. I don't feel we are paying you properly." Arcot's expression became suddenly serious. "'You can repay me this time,' he said. "'For this latest discovery has made a new thing possible. I've always wanted to be able to visit other planets as many a scientist for the last three centuries. This machine has made it possible. If you're willing, we could start by the spring of 2117. I'm quite serious about this. With your permission, I want to start work on the first interplanetary ship. I'll need Fuller's help, of course. The proposition will be expensive, and that's where I must ask you to help me. I think, however, that it may be a paying proposition at that for there will certainly be something of commercial value on the other planets they had walked out to the shed where arcot's private molecular motion car stood the first machine ever built that used the heat of the sun to drive it thoughtfully the president of the great transcontinental lines looked at it it was small compared with the great machine that had just brought them east but of the same swift type it was a thing of graceful beauty even on the ground its long, curving streamlines giving it wonderful symmetry. They stood in thoughtful silence for a minute. The young men, eager to hear the verdict of their prospective backer. Morrie, always rather slow of speech, took an unusually long time to answer. If it were only money you asked for, Arcot, I'd gladly give you double the sum. But that isn't the case. I know perfectly well that if you do go, my son will go with you, And Fuller and Wade will naturally go, too." He looked at each of them in turn. "'Each of you has come to mean a lot to me. You and Fuller have known Bob since college days. I've known Wade only three months, but every day I grow to like him more. There's no denying the fact that any such trip is a terrifically dangerous proposition. But if you were lost, there would be more than my personal loss. We would lose some of the most brilliant men on earth. You, for instance, are conceded as being the world's most brilliant physicist. Fuller is one of the greatest designing engineers. Wade is rapidly rising to prominence as a chemist and physicist. And my son is certainly a good mathematician. He paused, frowning, weighing the situation. But you men should know how to get out of scrapes just that much better. Certainly there are few men on Earth who would not be willing to back such a group of men, or any one of you for that matter. "'I'll back your trip.' His words became more fastidious. "'I know that Arcot and you, Bob, can handle a gun fairly well. "'I don't know so much about Wade and Fuller. "'What experience have you two had?' "'Fuller shook his head. "'I think I'll best fit in the galley on the trip, Mr. Morey. "'I've done the cooking on a number of camping trips, "'and food is an important factor in the success of any expedition. "'I can shoot a bit, too.' Wade spoke rather hesitantly. "'I come from the West, and have had a good bit of fun with a gun in the Rockies. There are still some mountain lions and some deer there, you know. I also have a sneaking acquaintance with the new gun, which Arcot developed in connection with its molecular motion. But there's so little you know about me, and most of it bad. I don't see how I really get in on this opportunity. But,' he added hastily, "'I certainly don't intend to keep the old boy knocking.' I'M WITH YOU SINCE I'M INVITED. ARCOT SMILED. THEN YOU'LL DEFINITELY SUPPORT US? YES, I WILL, REPLIED Morrie SENIOR SERIOUSLY, FOR I THINK IT'S WORTH DOING. THE FOUR MEN CLIMBED INTO THE SHIP TO START FOR THEIR APARTMENT. ARCOT WAS PILOTING, AND UNDER HIS sure TOUCH THE SHIP SPED OUT INTO THE COLD NIGHT AIR, THEN UP THROUGH THE ATMOSPHERE, TILL THEY HUNG POISED AT A HEIGHT OF FIFTY MILES ON THE UPPER EDGE OF AN AIRY BLANKET. They looked out in silent thought at the magnificent, blazing stars of space. Here where the dust laden air could no longer mask their true colors, the stars shone winkingly, steadily, and in a glory that earthbound men had never seen before. They shone in a wondrous riot of color, as varied and as beautiful as the display of colored floodlights in some great city. They were tiny pinpoints of radiance—red, green, orange, and yellow. Shining with intense brilliance. Slowly, Arcot let the machine settle into the blazing city miles below. I've come to love it out here, and look at these cold pinpoint lights. They seem to draw me, the lure of other worlds. I've always had a sense of unfulfilled longing, the desire to go out there. And it's always been so hopeless. Now I'll be out there by next spring." arcot paused and looked up at the mighty field of stars that arched over his head to be lost on either horizon a wonderful night where shall we go first dick asked wade softly as he gazed out at the far-off suns of space his voice unconsciously hushed by the grandeur of the spectacle i've thought of that for the last four months and now we are definitely going to go we'll have to make a decision actually it won't be too hard to decide of course we can't leave the solar system, and the outer planets are so far away I think we had better wait to later trips. That leaves the choice, really, between Mars, Venus, and Mercury. Mercury isn't practical, since it's so close to the Sun. We know a fair bit about Mars from telescopic observation, while Venus, wrapped in a perpetual cloud, is a mystery. What do you vote?" "'Well,' said Morrie. It seems to me it's more fun to explore a completely unknown planet than one that can be observed telescopically. I vote Venus. Each of the others agreed with Morey that Venus was the logical choice. By this time, the machine had sunk into the roof of their apartment, and the men disembarked and entered. The next day, they were to start the actual work of designing the spaceship. End of chapter one. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah voiceover-solutions.com